Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Um... Now I hear you, sir. <laughs> I hear you had an interesting trip to the grocery store. No, I was I was about to tell you. Kind of uh, thinking about it, I was going to tell you. Oh, okay. Something happened in the grocery store yesterday, and I was like, no, I'll just I'll just tell them the podcast. Yeah, because why not? <laughs> so I was here, here's the deal. I was at I was at Pavilions yesterday, okay, yeah. and uh, I get into the express line with like I had I had uh, I had two items. Mm-hmm. It's fifteen items or less. The guy in front of me has 18 items. I, I counted. Yeah, I, I'm sure you did. <laughs> um, so then he's, his items are being checked through, and I'm counting. <laughs> here's, what, here's what a prick I am. Uh, okay, all right. I <laughs> already know, but the listener may not, so go ahead. <laughs> With each scan, like each time it goes beep, I'm counting out loud. Where <laughs> I know this guy can hear me. <laughs> I was with a friend. It wasn't just me being a dick. Oh, good. I was doing okay. it sort of for her amusement as well. Okay. It does make it a little better, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so then he gets to the eggs and scans them, and he's looking at the screen, and he goes, wait, wait, you know, those are more expensive than I thought. And so there's that whole thing, you yeah. know, so he has to go check on the price of the eggs. He turns out he doesn't want them. So it's 17 items now. Okay, yeah. But that still counts as 18, because he got in the line with 18 items. That's true, yes. Uh, it's the principle of the thing, David. And then, yeah, and then... He finally gets done, swipes his card, and uh, it's declined. Okay. And at this point, my friend says, she's like, David, she's like, it whispers to me, she's like, David, wipe that smile off your face. You're going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> and I was like, by who? I just want to see this thing play out. <laughs> and then, so he, he tries the same card again. It's declined again. So he has to go out to the car and get like cash from his girlfriend and come back in and pay for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it ended up, and everybody else behind us in line just jumped to another line. But like yeah. I said, I wanted to see this thing through. Right, right. You're now, in it to win it, David. Yeah. Now here's the deal. Okay. I come off like a real dick in that story. Okay. Not, I'd say not as much as the guy himself. Well, here's here's the deal. I've been broke. Yep. When it comes to the egg thing and the credit card being declined, mm-hmm. generally, in a normal situation, I would have completely sympathize with that guy i would have felt terrible for him right but the fact that he got into the express line with 18 items fuck him he deserves right. everything that's coming to him <laughs> exactly maybe if you could count this wouldn't have he wouldn't have such a money problem yeah um <laughs> but uh yeah i uh since so we're telling I, I don't know why i told that on the show just that i thought it was a funny story and well i want uh, to save it at this point it takes a lot for uh like an everyday story about like a crazy person i mean we lived in chicago we we mm-hmm. met crazy people but I was at the post office the other day. Okay. We'll get to movies in a minute, all right? <laughs> I got to tell this story because it's funny. I was at the post office standing in line, and uh, and a guy walks in. I didn't see him walk in. He just kind of, he shuffled in silently, and uh, and then I hear him once he starts making announcements. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't work for the post office, by the way. He just decided he needed to let us all know something. And the something was... I, now, I don't know exactly if this is what he said. It's something along these lines. Um, you know, over at Borders, you only got, you only got, uh, you know, you, you only got the two options. You got it. You got entrance. You got exit. Take it or leave it. There's no, there's no third option for lovers. And then he leaves. And then he left. And I'm like, wow. That's like, 
that's old time crazy. <laughs> like it's been a while since I've seen somebody that crazy. And uh, and he just left, and I'm like, well, I guess he's got to go spread his gospel elsewhere. But only to find that he was actually every, standing in the parking. Everything he said is true. That's yeah. That's true. Yes, I can't argue with what he's saying. That's just the thing, you describe him as a, as a crazy person, but he made sense. He is making sense. So maybe he's just eccentric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's like one time I was at the convenience store in Chicago, and the guy in front of me, I didn't. He's he's one of those stealth crazy people. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize he was paying for his thing, and he dropped something out of his wallet. You yeah. know, and I picked it up, and I was like, "Oh, sir, you dropped this." And he turned around, he's like, snapped, like around really quickly yeah. and looked at me and he was like maybe I did and maybe I didn't <laughs> maybe I did and maybe I didn't it's like sir I'm not the cops I'm not I'm not uh, I didn't drop nothing um, okay anyway so those are fun stories from our lives David and I have not been seeing too many movies lately uh, but uh, and that's partially you know what uh, that's a function of there's not that many movies I want to see amen to that I mean there is this is uh, I think I've said it to to some friends before but just this year is turning out like 2006 where every movie you know it is you know it's coming up on late november and there's still have there's like maybe there's like three movies in theaters that i want to see like really want to see right now yeah but like you know it's been a long time last year i there were so many movies i couldn't wait to see there are so many movies i couldn't see them fast enough yeah but then like this is like 2006 where it's like there were like maybe three or four movies that I was looking forward to, and then there are others that I'm like, oh, that looks interesting, and then the reviews come out, and you're like, never mind. Um, and this year's like that. It's like that movie Blindness looked interesting to me, and then the critics just tore it apart, you know, yeah. and just and uh, and there's a few others that I can't think of, but like just movies that like uh, what is that? The Boy in the Striped Pajamas or something like that. Yeah, which it's like. Okay, well, movies like that have been made and have been good, and this seems like it'll just be one more of those. And then it just got destroyed, and just yeah, there's really not that many movies that I'm looking forward to. And you know, I want to see Quantum of Solace, but I, it, I, there's no burning desire for me to see it. Otherwise, I probably would have seen it already. And it's just this has just yeah. not been that great of a year. Yeah. I think I've been seeing, like I've talked about on the show, I've been, I, I see like you know uh, like. I go to art house theaters, or whatever. I see. Right. I've been seeing documentaries. I saw the the, the Lee Atwater documentary, Boogeyman. Oh, is it good? Yeah. Okay. And I saw. I think I talked about Deer Zachary uh, mm-hmm. last week. And I was going to go see Pray the Devil Back to Hell uh, this week, but okay. I've worked at movie theaters. I've worked at a movie theater, and yeah. I've been going to movie theaters for a long time. It seems like usually the weekday times, Monday through Thursday, are the same every day. Yeah. The show times. Yeah. Okay, that's normal, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, because I was planning on going to see Pray the Devil Back to Hell at 9.45 on Thursday because it had been playing at 9.45 on Wednesday, and I was like, oh, I'll just go to that show tomorrow. Right. And then, luckily, I checked something. I, just right before I left, I was like, let me check and double t- and, and make sure, and it was like 7.30 was the last show. Yeah, that's dumb when they uh, switch it up like that. In the middle it's of the like, week. Yeah, Friday to Thursday. That's how that works. Um, through Thursday. You know, they don't switch it on Thursdays. Right, exactly. So um, so I, I didn't see that. But uh, you did see something. What did you see? I saw Zach and Miri make a porno. Okay, now how did that work out for you? Well, you've... How do you think? I, I, like, this isn't a review show. I'm not going to... I'm not going to go... I'm not going to review the movie, but it's... We could always review who made the film. It's Kevin Smith. Yeah. Um, 
who is a uh, now. I remember there were some people who, and I was kind of one of them. Like when I, I, and I don't know why, but because the movie that he was making was taking place for the most part in this reality, like you wouldn't have like any kind of, and maybe there is some in there, but based on the the trailer and the and the synopsis, it doesn't seem like you know like it's dogma or jay and simon bob strike back you know it where there's like weird little elements of like fantasy or things Uh that can never happen it just seemed like you know like an eccentric like a judd apatow film frankly where it's just like kind of eccentric goofy characters that you may not run across in life Uh but they're here in this movie um and so i'm like oh well that seems like a step forward for him but then based on some of the reviews it just sounds like but what do you think it's the the first half hour of it, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. And it's basically be- mostly because of Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. And uh, uh, like one or one or two scenes with Justin Long, who okay. does not show up for the rest of the movie, but it's so brilliant. He's the best part. Of, I'm telling you right now, Justin Long is the best part of Zack and Mary and Mega Porno. Okay. He's hilarious. And uh, I wish he were in the movie more because it would have been more fun to watch. Hmm. But once the actual porno making starts, it just turns into complete... Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith j- just sort of takes over, and Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks are no longer allowed to be charming at all because it's just too powerfully Kevin Smith. Well, in what way? Just like the zaniness of it, or just the dialogue and the you know the just he. Did you read the uh, Roger Ebert's review of it? Um, no, where, I don't think I did. Where he Roger Ebert quotes Kevin Smith as as having you know saying roughly something like you know. I, I'm not a director. I'm, I'm not a good director, but I'm a fucking good writer. Yeah. I don't know that that's really true, that he's a good writer. I mean, he's got his style down, and he's got yeah. a certain, you know, he puts his stamp on it. There's a cadence to it that yeah. can be fun, but it can often be exhausting by the end of a film. Right. Uh, but, so maybe that makes him a good writer, but what he's not, I'll tell you what he's not, is a good storyteller. Okay. Uh. <sighs> The story in Zack and Mary, the way it resolves itself, is just insultingly cheap, easy, and lazy. Hmm. But again, this is not a review thing. Okay. But um, what I <clears throat> what I do want to talk about, okay. actually, this is going to segue us into the topic today. Oh, okay. Well, we've got some annou- some other announcements to make, but I can, can save those until the, the end. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, he, uh... I, <laughs> Well, okay, today we're gonna we're, we're, our topic is is indie directors who have gone mainstream. Yes, and uh, when I kind of I, I can't we uh, I was I was do, googling sort of looking for some some research some insight into this topic as okay. I usually do. Yeah, uh, and so many articles about Zach and Miri say you know indie director Kevin Smith goes mainstream. Hmm. Kevin Smith went, went mainstream with Mallrats, his second movie. Yeah, he made yeah. he made an indie film, yeah, Clerks, and then he started making mainstream films. Why do people think just because he's got? I, I don't understand. I, I I don't understand what's mainstream about that. That's a good. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Maybe maybe because they feel like he has indie sensibilities because he followed up Mallrats with Chasing Amy, and you know, which I know is a movie you hate, but nonetheless, like it's. It dealt with like oh lesbianism homosexuality you don't find that in mainstream film well because this you film isn't now, challenging but... at all right 
Um, but like, and not that I mean, chasing Amy is something that by maybe by the by the uh, log line you think this is going to be challenging, but it yeah. ends up, of course, not being and being once again too easy a story. Well, and yeah, I mean, I I, I think because that that's where his roots are, and because you know he just in his in his attitude, I think he would call himself like an indie director just because indie i don't think it has anything to do with you know uh money or anything like that i think at this point indie is like its own genre much like alternative you know alternative music it's right. like it used to just mean anything else you know yeah. there was a day when tom waits bone machine won best alternative album yeah because where the hell do, <laughs> else does it fit but now alternative means its own thing and i feel like indie means its own thing now so and he he is that he you know he's he's that kind of mentality where it's like yeah that's right i'll make a movie about the catholic church i don't care uh it's, i'm so indie that's got ben affleck and matt damon what i'm indie <laughs> whatever you know um but uh um, yeah and that's well, something that we're probably going to have to define but i also think uh, to stay with zach Amiri just for a second okay um I also think a big reason maybe people are seeing this as him going mainstream mm-hmm. is really, and I, it's going to sound like I'm giving Kevin Smith a lot of credit, and maybe in a way I am. Mainstream and comedy has kind of caught up with him, like yeah, essentially with Judd Apatow, who does does it better. Yes, um, but essentially, really crude movies with a really sweet center. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of, I mean. He's. I mean, Kevin Smith has always been a sentimentalist, you know. Yeah. And has always opted for the happy ending, uh, you know, and is usually about, uh, about soft-hearted guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and so maybe that's why people are seeing that as him going mainstream. What really what's happening is 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 it's just caught up with him. That's true. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, he just finds himself in the mainstream, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh and I'm trying to determine like what it is that Judd Apatow does specifically that's that's so different than Kevin Smith. Well, he tell he he's a storyteller first. Yeah, that's and true. And he also when he sets up you know the 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 obstacles that need to be overcome by his characters in his movies are real and they're dealt with honestly and they're actually overcome. There's actually an arc. And I would also say that his lead characters, his supporting characters, like you know, you could say they're actually very similar to like the supporting roles in the Kevin Smith film. But his lead characters, you know, they're just it's character first, and then it's like, oh, they've got these funny lines or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like some of Kevin Smith, you know, Kevin Smith's lead characters are a collection of of lines, you know, of him saying like, "I'm a fucking good writer. Look at all this dialogue." Uh, that's not actually a character, Kevin. No, it's fine. I'm a fucking good writer. <laughs> um, but, uh, I really crapped on Kevin Smith a lot. Sorry, everybody. No, um, you shouldn't be sorry. There's, there's nothing le- If there was ever anything to like about him, it's gone. There's nothing left to like about Kevin Smith. Did you ever see an evening with Kevin Smith? No. I did. And, uh, and I feel like that's, that's what he should do. I think, I think, uh, I think my friend Scott actually once said this, that he just, he needs to stop making movies, go on the lecture tour because he himself is like a kind of a witty guy, clearly yeah. smart, um, doesn't really consider himself as above anybody, um, unless of course he criticizes film, incidentally, because um, <laughs> there's there is uh, I I don't remember if it's in an evening with Kevin Smith or it's just footage on YouTube 
you know, where he was giving a lecture and he was taking questions and somebody came up and said and said something, you know, a little a little insulting. But it was they were asking a real question. I think it was about Jersey Girl or something about his work. And then he and then Kevin Smith, you know, we talked about this a long time ago when Rob Zombie in the movie Heckler was talking about like guys living in their basement and all that. And that and Kevin Smith went that route with it. Like he started insulting this guy uh-huh. granted. And of course, everyone in the auditorium is laughing like, oh, Kevin, you sure got him. First off, everything that he's saying about this guy could probably apply to anybody else in the uh-huh. auditorium. Also, these these people, these kind of slacker guys that you're making fun of, they are your audience. You know, you yeah. really shouldn't be so scornful. Not to mention, you didn't answer the fucking question. You know, and just, but that's the thing is, you know, Kevin Smith got everyone laughing at this guy, and that count, counted as his answer, and the guy sat down. And so, so I didn't like that, but uh-huh. Evening with Kevin Smith is actually not that bad and he actually is quite charming and he and he and he's a good storyteller when he's sitting there telling a story yeah but it doesn't really translate itself into a uh, script form so sorry to go well, it's just like we that. were talking about diablo cody how much i like her her yeah, column yeah absolutely Entertainment weekly when it's they're very similar you know yeah he did a, a guest stint on uh, ebert and roper oh when, yeah and he was great when he's you know talking about movie he clearly understands yeah you know great film he just can't necessarily recreate it and that's nothing necessarily wrong with that unless that's what he's doing um <laughs> or attempting to do should we move on and talk about someone else besides kevin smith you know what whatever <laughs> let's just talk about him for a while um but uh yes okay by all means let's move on let's get into it shall we indeed um well here's the thing when i started looking at thinking about this topic about the idea of indie directors going going hollywood or mm-hmm. going mainstream you know i started to realize that most of them do most of the ones that are successful as indie directors go to the mainstream and what's more like i because i was thinking about it's like if you think of like almost i'd say almost not yeah for the most part any successful franchise of the last maybe 10 years it's probably a director that started in the indie world yeah you know which is which is fascinating to me because you know i mean it's you think like, well, maybe it's him bringing, you know, quality, not to imply that indie means quality, but this particular yeah. director was good or something, and he brings the sensibilities that made him, him or her so successful in the indie world and brings it into mainstream film, and maybe that's why it's a franchise. You know, you look at something like Spider-Man, where, you know, Sam Raimi, who was, you know, the the you know, the indie film nerd darling for a long time. And then he makes Spider-Man and, and he makes it just with all the right notes, you know, Mm -hmm. something that, that I think most people would agree. Um, you know, uh, a a non indie nerd director probably wouldn't have brought to it, probably would have taken it maybe too seriously or not seriously enough and would have ruined it completely. But like Sam Raimi kind of got it because he was, he's sort of outside the mainstream. And I think that's when it, I think, I do think that that's when, you know, mainstream films work best. I mean, this year, especially. I, I see it as, as, um, cause yeah, a lot of in- indie directors have been doing these franchise movies, you mm-hmm. know, Paul Greengrass doing the Bourne movies. Oh yeah. I, uh, I forgot about that. Mark Forster made the new Bond movie, right. you know? And, uh, 
I feel like maybe this is this is something we talked about a week or two ago. The the old studio system, the old mm-hmm. studio way of making movies, where it was not 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 auteur at all, where everybody had their own thing to take care take care of. Right. I feel like it's this this the executive way of thinking about these is sort of going back to that, where mm-hmm. they don't they've got enough guys like stunt choreographers and cinematographers and effects people and stuff that they trust mm-hmm. to do the flashy stuff, and they just have this guy to actually tell the story and maybe have some character stuff. Yeah. And that's why, maybe that's why they're hiring, hiring indie people. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't know why it started. I mean, I think maybe like, and I'm, I'm trying I to think, think it started of like, because it worked well, with, yeah, with Spider-Man and, <laughs> and stuff. And so people, but it also makes me wonder like somebody like Steven Soderbergh, who now, I mean, you know, he did, he created, I mean, he did every film in the, uh, in the uh, Oceans franchise now. Mm-hmm. But and I'm trying to think, like, what was it that, that, like... I mean, he had gotten, you know, like, an Oscar nomination for Sex, Lies, and Videotape, but he still, I mean... Was it Traffic and Aaron Brockovich that, like, r- elevated him to that level? Because even Out of Sight didn't do it, which is a fairly mainstream story with a big yeah. star. But, like, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like... Because each one, it, e- each, like, indie director who, you know... Um, you know, in some cases, it's like when you look at somebody like, uh, let's go with David Gordon Green. Uh-huh. You know, like he stayed fairly obscure for a long time, you know, and then somehow he wound up with Pineapple Express. Whereas you look at somebody like Christopher Nolan, who directed an indie film that everybody loved, which is Memento. Yeah. And that's how he got on, on the radar. Like, I don't know how David Gordon Green managed to get that movie. Um, I think he, man, he's just uh, I, the people involved with Pineapple Express who are not David Gordon Green mm-hmm. are smart people who also happen to uh, have a lot of pull. That's true, and I, so I think that's how he got it. Yeah, and it's and I, and I wonder, like, it's just it fascinates me that like people like uh, oh my gosh, I just forgot his name, Ozu. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, Peter Jackson. There we go. Okay. Um, for some reason, instead of Jackson, I thought Greenaway, and that's not correct at all. <clears throat> um, but Peter Jackson, his career is so is so different now than what it was. Yeah. Like if you look at if you look at Soderbergh, like yeah, he does his Oceans films, but then he'll go and do Full Frontal or Solaris or you know just like really. Or uh, he did freaking was it Bubble, which is like which I didn't actually see. I didn't see it either. But it's po- but like everything about it is just so indie in its sensibilities, uh-huh. and so like he he kind of tempers it, you know. Um, but like Peter Jackson, I mean, if you I, I never even saw Heavenly Creatures, but it's so f- it's so far removed from from the even just the scope of Lord of the Rings. Like I just. I'm fascinated, and I guess, you know, I guess we, we bash studios a lot, you know, but, you know, hats off to, like, any studio that watches, like, Heavenly Creatures and then, like, The Frighteners, and it's like, I think this is the man to do it. I think this is <laughs> the man to, uh, you know, direct three huge movies at a huge budget, Yeah, and uh, we'll release them over several years uh, and pu- and, you know, heavily publicize them. And I and I'm not well, sure. Well, to get back to Soderbergh for a second, okay, before go we move ahead. On, uh, I think w- with certain people like Soderbergh, what, you, what you're seeing is sort of uh, like, see, so you've got like an idiosyncratic 
artist, mm-hmm. you know, someone who does paintings and stuff and has a very unique style, yeah. uh, a stamp, you know, and then you start and, and, and it exists on the fringes, but then you start to see like advertising and commercials mm-hmm. using that style of, uh, you know, that, that sort of graphic. Yeah. I think Soderbergh has such a, I think his, his sort of, uh, I don't know, postmodern visual flair yeah. just happened to be the right thing at the right time in a lot of ways. He's also he's also a good storyteller and that's good for us. Oh yeah. But I think a lot of the reason I mean if you I mean the 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 sort of uh, this is going to sound like an insult but the sort of showiness of 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 traffic the way that each like location has its own yeah uh color to yeah. it, you know. Uh you know that's not really subtle. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that sort of thing just happens to happen to speak to people at the right at the right time. Mhm. Yeah, and it's uh now there are some I don't know, what what do you think of like um like Quentin Tarantino? Like do you unlike Kevin Smith, who pretty much is, you know, main who is fairly mainstream in uh-huh. the, the types of stories that he tells, um Quentin Tar- Quentin Tarantino, though I may not like a lot of his films, he has I'd say he could have really gone after Pulp Fiction. Certainly, he really could have gone incredibly mainstream. Yeah, but he made Jackie Brown, which you know it just, he was so he just it's like oh yeah let's get Pam Greer back you yeah. know and just or, and Robert Forster can't forget Robert Forster uh-huh. um, and uh, and it's weird like I I find myself split a lot of the time because I feel like sometimes his indie sensibility and his refusal because he actually he kind of winds up with the best of both worlds he gets himself a mainstream budget yeah. but he doesn't <laughs> but uh he doesn't have to do anything that they're gonna do that they wanted you know that they uh normally do and so um so i kind of respect that he is always going to do what he wants to do but at the same time you know the result is often something like you know the kill bill films or you know death proof and and it's weird so i feel like he's he's kind of a weird hybrid of mainstream and indie because he's always he never lost that sensibility it never went away but but his he, he makes movies that are mainstream ish if that makes any sense cuz i know a lot of people saw kill bill yeah know? i don't I know mean, that he makes movies that are mainstream i think there's just he's got a brand of his own, he's yeah. one of the, he's a, he's one of the very few lucky directors who can do this, who can yeah. establish their own brand and and therefore have the freedom to to make whatever they want because it's because the brand is appealing enough that yeah. it's going to make enough money. But I still wouldn't go so far as to call it mainstream because he's not conforming to anything yeah. else. However, you feel about Quentin Tarantino, he's not. Yeah, yeah, he's not. He hasn't changed with the times. Uh, he's stayed true to himself. And I guess now would be a good time to actually define the the terms indie and mainstream. I mean, I, I you know, I kind of talked about the term indie earlier that these days it's like its own genre, but like mainstream, a lot of people, you know, I, I feel like the word mainstream, it's a lot like the word pretentious. Everybody says it. Everyone has kind of a vague idea of what it means, uh-huh. but like, they might not be using it correctly. Like when you say mainstream, like how do you define it? Well, it depends. It's, it depends on the conversation. Okay. I mean, the way we're talking about it today, I, I'm just thinking about uh, non-studio directors going to a studio. Okay. 
you know, for whatever, for for good or bad, you know, that that's that's the way I think about it. But as far as the way I usually use the term mainstream, uh, I would say uh, this is going to be tough to define, but exactly the opposite of what I was saying about Quentin Tarantino. Oh, okay. Stuff that essentially is conforming itself to the current uh, flow of American cultural thought. So, so basically, like, the content of a film uh, starts to... You, you find that it has a lot more in common with everything else. There's really yeah. nothing in in you know the the themes of a film or the or the visuals of it or anything yeah. like that. Well the word I used earlier was challenging. Okay. And I think if something is not challenging at all, it's probably mainstream. Okay. Now you say probably. Can you think of some indie movies that uh well, I guess I can I guess uh, There's plenty of indie movies that aren't challenging. Yeah. But I mean it's, it's we could talk about this the whole hour. That's true. Yeah, so yeah. I think for the purposes of this conversation, the way yeah. I'm thinking of it is non-studio is okay. indie studio is mainstream. Okay. But I mean, certainly, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I was going to say Little Miss Sunshine, but that's a studio movie. Uh, yeah. But that, that, that movie is not challenging at all. Okay. You know what? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Suddenly I realized that we could veer off into an entirely other episode <laughs> right now. Um, so, yeah. And I feel like, you know, I mean, it's weird. Like some of the best movies and certainly some of the most profitable movies this year um, you know, one of them was Iron Man, which kicked off a franchise, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is The Dark Knight. Both of them, I mean, who would ever think that John Favreau, he of Maid fame and <laughs> Swingers, like, who would ever have thought that he could, you know, pull off the... Because that's... And I think, like, the, the scale and the and the scope of... A, you know, a modern superhero movie. And I think what happens is, is he, I think people realize that audiences, in spite of what you may, what some people may think, audiences don't just respond to scale, you know? Yeah. I mean, when, if you were to ask but the I think John Favreau is the perfect example of what I was talking about earlier, because he doesn't necessarily have like a visual stamp. Right. There's something, you can't look at something and say that's, that's John Favreau. Right. But he's, He's really good at character and story. Exactly. And so I think that's a perfect example of where Iron Man, the studio probably was like, we have our guys to take care of the effects and everything like that, you right. know. And But John Favreau has had success with, you know, with Elf and, and, and whatnot right, and with yeah. working with effects. I mean, I don't know. Not, not, Zathura didn't make a lot of money, but oh, yeah. uh, it's, you know, I'm sure it did well with the effects, you know. So it's, here's, and I think that's probably what happened with Peter Jackson, too. That's, you, yeah. you see. Uh, to some extent, Heavenly Creatures, and then the Frighteners. You see, okay, this guy can work with yeah. with computer generated effects and, and 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 integrate them into into the scene. And, and so I, I think that's why they get hired. And I think that the average person, if you were to ask them, hey, what what movie do you like more, Iron Man or Transformers? I think I think the vast majority of them would say Iron Man because, regardless of how you know, I mean, y- you know, a person can can be as cynical as they want, and 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 you know, like underestimate the audience but when it comes right down and the audience may not even necessarily be able to verbalize why they like iron man more but they might but i think it comes down to the character of tony stark is so strong both in the way he's written and the way he's performed 
And I think that's that's absolutely what John Favreau brings to it. He, mm-hmm. he has, you know, as far as the the visual effects and all that, he has a strong handle on it. But you know, it's like that's what you bring to it. That's what people walk away from. Like where this character was just as interesting out of the armor as he was in, if not more, uh-huh. you know, and that's something that it's like, Oh, like when you see the way, you know, Tony Stark talks to his secretary or anyone, basically uh-huh. that's when you're like, Oh, it's Vince Vaughn from swingers. You know, <laughs> like you, you definitely see it there. And, uh, and it's, it is encouraging. We, you know, we've talked about this to talk in about, the past. Before Go we ahead. move on. Yeah. To, to stay with John Favreau for a second. He's not exactly a guy who, had to again i don't want to sound like i'm insulting him but he didn't have to really uh earn his place in the indie world he didn't he didn't toil as as much i mean again i'm not insulting the guy he's a hard he's clearly a hard worker and a very talented guy right but he managed with swingers he wrote a script that while it was an indie film tapped so immediately into the zeitgeist yeah that he was catapulted you know i mean that Swingers came about at the perfect time, uh, yeah. Uh, for for what it was for the and for having, uh, what's the band that's the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy? You know, okay. like having that at the time of the sort of that yeah. early that 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 mid nineties neo swing thing was happening. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. He he was a guy who had his he was the right guy for the right time. So yeah. he's not a guy who, and that's a, that's what I'd like to get to is who is a guy who like toiled for a while who really. Or 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 a, or a woman, obviously, yeah. but a director who who worked under the radar for so long and then made a mainstream film. See, and I and like if I go back to like you know like the early you know not even the early days, but just you know maybe forty years ago or something like I think of somebody like John Cassavetes who you know he, with him it's more like like what you were talking about with with Kevin Smith where. Like he to- he he toiled and made his own films for the longest time, and then a woman under the influence comes along, and it gets nominated for all these Oscars, mm-hmm. and a lot of people saw it and all that. And I don't think, but he wasn't doing anything differently. You know, it's just, it's just the audience. He didn't find the audience. The audience eventually found him, and so you could say that he went mainstream, but it had nothing to do with what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's yeah. it wasn't a conscious choice he made. It just it's like, oh, I guess people all of a sudden like this now. Okay, fair uh-huh. enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm having a hard time thinking of. I mean, you could say that Steven Soderbergh, a little bit, was that. I mean, he was you know he was, he was working in relative obscurity to as far as mainstream audiences go. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, I mean, not many people knew about Schizopolis or Kafka or I mean, they may have remembered that movie Sex Lies and Videotape, but yeah, because it's prob- got it's got an alluring name, right? You know, <laughs> but and, yeah, he made King of the Hill. Yeah, I mean he, you know, it's when you f- when you see the body of work that he was cranking out in the in the early and mid 90s, even I'd say even into the late 90s, you're like, wow, he he really worked. It's like, yes, he did, but why would you have ever heard of it? I mean, it's, you know, and then like he did out of sight. And I think that kind of, you know, I think he kind of popped up on some people's radar, but it didn't do nearly as well as it should have, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then the year after he did the Limey, yeah. And you know, who knows any, you know, but uh and then and then it was the year after that that he did Traffic and Aaron Brockovich. And I think from then on and then he did that and then he did Ocean's 11 and from then on I think people I think I think he is a name. I think people probably do recognize the name. But I I don't know. I uh, everyone I know is like me. 
So, yeah, that's a good point. I, yeah, we can't know. really talk about what uh, non-film geeks think because we don't know any. Yeah, listeners, <laughs> I'd throw it to you, but uh, sorry, you're like me too. And, uh, you know, uh, I find myself wondering what about you, and you know more about him than I do, but like what about David Lynch? You know, like he, I mean, I guess The Elephant Man did okay, but like Blue Velvet is where is when a lot of people who normally would never have seen a David Lynch film yeah. really were like, oh my gosh, this movie is fascinating, you know. Well, he's a guy who kind of like, yeah, he he was an indie guy, and then he made, yeah, Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, and then, like, Dune happened. Yeah. And then he kind of was like, yeah, you know what, never mind. I'll, I'll go back over here to the indie world. And he made the straight story and everything. But, but then he did Twin Peaks, and Twin Peaks was a huge phenomenon at yeah. the time, you know. Well, we're a movie podcast, but no, uh, we, we talk about TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have Paul Goble back on or just go on his show. Uh-huh. But... uh <laughs> <laughs> You're so reluctant to 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 go into other other fields, David. We can talk about like grocery store stories. Exactly. <laughs> um. Fair enough. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but no, okay. So yeah, there was Dune, and then there was Twin Peaks. Yeah, but then then there was Wild at Heart. You know, uh, not yeah. exactly and then Lost a, Highway, and then yeah, yeah. But then, then there was a the straight story. He right, came back and so he. Uh, yeah, I think he's a guy who. Put his feet in the water there, and then yeah. decided, eh, you know what, that's not for me. And and he has had enough freedom to make things like Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. Although Mulholland Drive was again another it's supposed to be another TV thing. That's a whole right. Uh, um, I'm I'm fascinated with his story because didn't he make like I think for a while he was going to direct. I forget if it was no, he was going to direct. I think Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it was it was like offered to him as I understand it. Yeah. And he said no, and then he made, wound up making Dune. He made Dune. Yeah. And I myself, you know, like in the world and and every 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 film person has this where they're like maybe the missing 40 minutes of Magnificent Ambersons are somewhere and I can find them. You uh-huh. know, but also just where you just think of like what might have been or something like that and one of the big things is like for me even though i'm not a big david lynch fan even i am like i really would have loved to see what he did (laughs) can you imagine can you imagine job of the hut as imagined by david lynch i have to imagine there's probably some kind of phallic thing in there (laughs) you know but uh and the ewoks would be considerably less cute or they would be as cute and more horrible things would happen to them (laughs) it would be more than just that one guy the one Ewok being like come on and then he goes back and his friend's dead and it's like that's the one sad scene in all of in all of ewokdom it would be like it would be like the, 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 the battle. What is the planet called? Endor. Endor. The battle in Endor would be like the first twenty minutes of Saving Private Ryan. I like to think <laughs> it's just like Ewoks. It looks like, it looks like the back room of uh, like the Build a Bear workshop. They were just like <laughs> stuffing flying everywhere. <laughs> oh, David, you've made me laugh. Um, but uh, and I, I'm trying to think of like other. Filmmakers. Well, I want to talk for a second. Okay, go ahead. And we could almost do a whole episode on this too. But uh, and the even rarer thing, indie directors who, who have been successful in state indie, because mm. there's so few of them. Yeah, you know, uh, I would have thought up until fairly recently, I would have thought David Gordon Green was going to be one of them. Uh, I didn't see that yeah. happening, you know. But uh, I would say to me, one of the main guys is John Sales. Yeah, who has continued to work. But has he had mainstream success? I mean, you know a lot more about him than I do. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess Eight Men Out was probably his yeah uh, his biggest film, but that just seemed like that was the story he wanted to tell. He and then was it Passion Fish? Yeah, that did pr- that that did okay, and a lot of people saw that, and it was it was up for some Oscars and stuff. Yeah, but, but in, you know, just a few years ago, he made Silver City, which he shot on sixteen millimeter film. You yeah. know, like completely uh, outside of the studio. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's a guy who I I like what I what I've seen, but like I'll run across like he made a movie I think called Limbo. Yeah, with David Strathairn. With David Strathairn. And I remember, like, I just happened, you know, I was, I think it was a few years ago, I was working at Blockbuster, and I happened to see the box. I'm like, what is this? Oh, it's a John Sayles film. This is the first I've heard of it, you know. And then well, he's, I, he's like, he's not quite as prolific as Woody Allen, but he puts out a film every couple of years, yeah. you know. Uh, do you know anybody who saw Casa de los Babies? That's another one. that It, <laughs> it was a new release, and I'm like, what? What? Like, it's John Sales, so I imagine this didn't go straight to DVD, but I was living in Chicago at the time. Like, it came out of play at the Landmark okay, in Chicago. Okay, that stands to reason. Um, now, I mean, I can think of plenty of filmmakers who, you know, they are indie and they've stayed indie, and, like, Jim Jarmusch is, is, is yeah. to me, like, he. I can't imagine the mainstream ever uh, I don't, you know, in that Venn diagram, I don't think those circles are ever gonna uh-huh. uh, come in contact with each other. The closest they'll come is probably um, Broken Flowers, because Bill Murray was, you know, he was fresh off his Oscar nomination, and he was, you know, he'd been lost in translation, which not a lot of mainstream audiences liked it, but some really did, and so then they saw Broken Flowers, and and it it did better than I think any, you know, most of his. Uh, I think it was probably his most successful film, hmm. but you know, of course, I worked at a video store uh, when that came out on DVD. A lot of people hated it, <laughs> you know, and so, but everyone that's, but everyone rented it, you yeah. know, like everyone's like, hey, Bill Murray, you know, prominently featured, you know, and he is the lead, so it's like, well, well let's give this a watch, and then they always come back angry. <laughs> it's just like that was boring. Nothing happened, you know. It's like, well, it's not stripes. I'll say that. But but he's somebody who, yeah, I mean, he he's like Cassavetes. He's not going to change what he's doing. Yeah. You know? I wonder what, uh, I'm trying to think of other directors who have stayed indie. Uh, Lynn Ramsey, if she ever makes another film after Radcatcher and Morvern Keller. Oh, okay. Does If anyone out there in uh, our listenership knows what Lynn Ramsey is up to, because I'd <laughs> like to see another film. It's been like six years. I mean, not six years. It's been like five years since Morvern Keller. Well, you know, maybe she's maybe she's saving it up. Maybe she's gonna turn out something great. Yeah. What's her name? Who made uh, Friends with Money? Who she keeps making essentially oh, the same film all the time with uh, Catherine Keener playing the same role all the I time. I saw Friends with Money. <laughs> but uh, and what is that woman's name? I don't. I can't remember. She made she made Lovely and Amazing. I think. Oh, that's right. And oh, yeah, Catherine Keener. Yeah, and then did she make Walking and Talking? Uh, I I don't remember with Liev Schreiber with, with Catherine Keener. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, this has gotten boring. Yeah. Okay. Well, calm down. <laughs> we'll, we'll be all right. Um, yeah. I. Uh, you know. I mean. I guess now. I mean. I, I touched on it briefly. I mean. I guess we could talk about. Um, you know. Uh, Christopher Nolan. Well, I want to ask a question about th- about that. I was going somewhere okay. with all the indie directors staying indie. Okay. Uh, do you? Even when someone like a Sam Raimi or Christopher Nolan goes mainstream and makes great movies, mm-hmm. does a part of you, because it's certainly true of me, I have to admit, a part of me is has more respect for the indie directors who stay indie. 
You know, I I I have had that thought where I'm just like, hey, they're gonna do what they're. And it's like these guys are just gonna do what they're gonna do, and they're uh-huh. you know. But then I realized, you know, Paul Greengrass is gonna do what he's gonna do. He just happens to do it in the middle of a Bourne film. Christopher Nolan is gonna, uh, you know, it's like there's a reason that these movies are so amazing, you know, and it's because he hasn't changed. Like he's st- he happens to be working within something that his uh, that's you know it's already it's like okay well it's the character of Batman I can't reinvent it you yeah. know but I can do remarkable things you know you know he finds the limits of what he's working in and then he pushes them and sees exactly what can be done yeah. inside them and it's still well, I think so- Chris is another guy like what I was saying about Soderbergh earlier mm-hmm. a guy who is stylistically just right for the times and then yeah. luckily for us also happens to be really good at storytelling and everything yeah and he just and so like yeah part of me you know part of me probably some weird idealistic part is like is like oh oh that I guess they got him you know it's only it's only a matter of time but at the same time it, part of me is like good because now a larger audience is going to be exposed to this man's level of filmmaking, you know, and just, you know, not many people are going to see you in 1993. And it's one of the few movies that it's if you don't feel like seeing it, I'm not going to push you. It's yeah. rough. But he brings those sensibilities. And I don't just mean the visual sensibilities, but he brings those sensibilities. Paul, Paul Greengrass brings them to the Bourne film, the Bourne yeah. films where and the first one, Doug Lyman started it as well, but with the second and third one, you know, just the, just like the, the respect and the love of life, and and one man who previously didn't care about it is learning to love it. Like it's just like Paul Greengrass, you know, you watch something like Bloody Sunday, and you watch um, United ninety three, and you know, no, not many mainstream audiences are going to see those. But he still takes some of the key elements of those thematically and brings them along. And now they're being exposed to people who, you know, they were going in wanting just an action movie. People went into The Dark Knight wanting... Now, granted, they had seen Batman Begins and it was great. But they certainly weren't going in expecting, you know, the the incredibly deep morality tale going yeah. on. You know, and it's something that you won't find. And it wouldn't have been possible... If these indie directors had stayed where they were, well, what, what wouldn't have been possible? That they still could have. I mean, Christian I mean, Nolan could have kept on making morality, uh, deep well, morality stories. No, I mean, I mean, a lo- I mean, Dark Knight is now like the second highest grossing movie of all time. Oh, you're saying that not as many people would have seen it? Yeah, not as many people would have. You know, and that's the thing is, to me, it's like bringing. It's like. It's like a Trojan horse, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you take something that everybody knows, Batman, you put, you cram it full of the complexity and the intelligence of Insomnia or Memento or The Prestige and or any, you know, anything else that Christopher Nolan has done that people probably wouldn't have seen. You cram it full of that, you know, you, you, you get it, you get it behind the gates and then before you know it, these people watch it. You know, I mean, and the, and Dark Knight especially. I mean, there are people. I imagine there are people who watch it and they're like, "That movie was awesome." But I think it probably caused some conversations. Yeah. You know, um, like Graham Elwood was was on the show and he was talking about. He's like, he goes, "Yeah, I would have blown up those convicts 
minute one. <laughs> you know, sweet. Yeah, and it's <laughs> just, and I think people who otherwise, if they had got, you know, if if Warner Brothers or whoever had gotten a different director, a more mainstream director who probably wasn't going to ask the same questions, yeah, then yeah, Dark Knight still would have done well, but it wouldn't have had the impact. Again, you know, Iron Man is a movie that's loved even though there's not a lot of Iron Man in it. You know, it's more Tony Stark than anything. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it, maybe it's just the idealist in me, but I think deep down mainstream audiences, I think they know what's good. You know, I th- but they just, they need to, it needs to be shown to them a little more. You know, I don't <laughs> just... Kevin, you're starting to sound like a liberal. So, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, uh, th- you know what the studios know best. You know, <laughs> the yeah the 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 uh, the market will even itself out. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I mean, here's here's what needs to happen. These audiences they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps artistically, and uh, they need to seek out these films. You know. Um, but uh, I, I see what you're saying, and I think a certain part of me agrees with you, and I think Dark Knight certainly works as evidence mm-hmm. that you're right. But at the same time, I feel like there's the idea that that uh, that absolute power corrupts absolutely, and I That's feel like true. if these guys, the more power they get, the more they're gonna, you know, the less interesting they're gonna be because they're not forced to, they don't have the restrictions that make art thrive. You know, yeah. look, I want to talk about a guy who okay. could, I think, could have been Christopher Nolan. Okay, and that's Brad Anderson. Because uh, if you look at like Session Nine, I also worked at a video store. Yeah, you know. And certain, it's like the thing you were talking about with Broken Flowers. People hadn't heard of Session 9. And, and it didn't happen, obviously, to quite the extent because, yeah. you know, Peter Mullen doesn't grab as many people's attention as, uh, <laughs> as Bill Murray. Uh, but um, people, you know, would see the cover of Session 9 and think it looked cool and, yeah. and rent it. And people liked it a lot. Yeah. And I think the, the visual style has a lot to do with that. And, I, and certainly The Machinist is a very... Mm-hmm. Uh, arrestingly uh, arresting movie visually you know yeah uh but this is a guy who has sort of stayed under the radar you know yeah. i mean uh his last movie was trans-siberian which was great i loved it i really wanted to see it i didn't get a chance to though um it, but he i feel like he i don't know that there's anything and i don't know that anyone's offered him anything mm-hmm. but i don't see what is keeping him from being the next christopher nolan except that maybe he's just more of an He's got more of an indie sensibility, and Christopher Nolan is more comfortable working in the mainstream. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, I I also think it's just, like you said, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of of luck or chance, you know. It's like, you know, I mean, Session 9, if it had, I mean, it could have, because I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's really great. And it could have caught fire the same way Memento did, but it just happened not to. You know, I yeah. mean, well, I think the better comparison, or at least for my point, <laughs> okay, to make my point, the better comparison okay. is to, to compare Memento to The Machinist, okay, because they're both movies that have visual styles that people would certainly be interested in. Mm-hmm. But again, this is the, for the third time, I'm going to sound like I'm insulting someone, okay. Uh, in, in Memento, there's nothing that's going to, I don't want to say challenge because I've overused that word, but there's nothing that's going to bother a mainstream audience in memento except for the stupid people who just don't want to see a story told backwards well yeah there is that you know but if you look at the machinist there's like disfigurement and weird like psychosexual shit going on and christian bale being like 60 pounds too skinny Mm -hmm. and like stuff that's hard to take you know and i think that's 
and maybe it's just the the punk rocker in me who likes to see people be offended, but I mm-hmm. I, I like that. See now, I mean, do you want? people to be offended or do you want them to like really to use to use your term do you want them to be challenged i want I to think, be challenged i was being sort of facetious okay. sort of glib there but I, I but i also do want to see people uncomfortable uh, but not <laughs> not just a partially because i just uh, am sort of a an a emotional sadist and i like to see people be uncomfortable <laughs> but I also do. because being uncomfortable makes you think about stuff you know right and personally, I that think that really uh, <laughs> makes you think about it makes shit. you think about stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I personally, I, I mean, it may not be as unpleasant to watch as the Machinist, but I personally think that Memento it asks some, some challenging questions because when it comes right down to it, spoilers, everybody, whatever you've already, you've all seen Memento, but um, yeah. when it comes right down to it, Guy Pierce takes advantage of his own condition and basically condemns to death a man who didn't actually do anything wrong. Yeah. You know, and like that's. That's not an easy thing to deal with, you know, for from an audience standpoint. Yeah, no, and, I'll agree with you there. And I would say that actually the cool style, which is challenging in its own sense, I think that actually might be detrimental to the point that he's making. Because so many people walk away feeling like, oh man, that movie was so cool just the way it was told. Now, first off, it's, it's a catch-22 because that's absolutely the way the story needs to be told. Yeah. It needs to be revealed that this happened. Yeah, you know. But, but at the, the thing, same time, the, I don't know. The challenging aspect that you're talking about gets sort of hidden behind the fact that it's a twist. It, that's tr- that is true, and that's and that's kind of the shame of it is because yeah. there's some heavy things going on there. Yeah, um, but you know what? That's that's not the movie's fault. Uh, right. If anyone who doesn't see that through the twist, that's the audience's fault. I, that's true. I I have gone. I've had some times with Memento, and I I, I love that movie now. Okay. It it took me a while. I had yeah. I had struggles with it. Yeah. Uh, but I really like Memento, and so I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging it at all. I okay. Think it's a really good movie. Well, I'm glad to hear that you two made your piece because yeah. I know it was uh, rough waters for a while. Yeah. Um. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but I but, might... the same, but I do, and maybe that's maybe because Christopher Nolan is a more sly filmmaker than Brad Anderson. Okay. You know, or or than David Lynch. Yeah. You know, or uh, he can. Uh, he, 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 he fits more easily. Now the difference, here's another guy who's not sly in that way at all. It was very straightforward about his challenging aspects is David Cronenberg. And yet he's, <laughs> he's been able to have a career, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think he's been having, able to have a career by working within the confines of like horror and then stuff where that's violent and that yeah. stuff where disfigurement is <laughs> right. is going to be an okay theme. And I feel like he, he kind of has a lot of that, uh, that Trojan horse thing that I was talking about where like he makes a movie called a history of violence. It's about violence, but then it shows violence, not the kind of violence you were expecting, yeah, but actual grisly violence. Same with Eastern promises. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think, uh, I think he has retained, I'd say, most of his uh, indie sensibilities. Eastern Promises, by the way. Yeah, I love it more every time I think about it. It's at this point, I know it's to the only two thousand eight. We got a couple of years yet, but yeah. Eastern Promises is one of the best movies of the decade. Hmm, I think it's amazing. That last part, I'm not sure I agree with, but I do own it. It's on loan right now, but <laughs> uh, I do own it, and whenever. It, you know, my friend returns it, I will watch it immediately. Because it is a movie, it's like The Departed. It's a movie that I, you know, there are certain things I don't care for, but I do find myself wanting to rewatch it. Yeah, I remember that you didn't, again. you didn't like it as much as, and I loved it. Yeah. And it was, it was last year's Appaloosa. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But uh, well, I feel like we. I mean, I feel like we've kind of covered the topic. I, we've covered the topic. We're going to get a lot of emails this week saying, "How could you not mention so and so?" Because we right. did not hit a lot of filmmakers yeah. this week. And I didn't. Honestly, I didn't make a list or anything. So I didn't. So this is all from my mind, everybody. I didn't make a list either. And I, to, to get away from the topic, to just talk about behind the scenes of the show. A little okay. Bit. When I behind make a list, curtain. yeah. When, when when I make a list of things to talk about, it ends up being. Uh, we end up. It ends up sort of. The episode sounds like we're going down a list. We're saying right. let's talk about this, and that works with certain topics. Yeah, but I knew with this topic, I didn't want to make a list, right? Because I wanted to talk about more of the questions that we're raising here. Yeah, you know the what's the difference between indie and mainstream? You know right. how does it change? How does it not change? What's the, what is it? Is it worthy? Yeah. Uh, so when I don't make a list, it's because I want to have this kind of discussion. So I, I'm I'm happy to read all, any emails about how could you not mention whoever you wanted me to mention, right? Uh, but not every show is going to be uh, a laundry list. Yeah, and and honestly, and this this topic especially, I think we're going to get emails regardless because I feel like there are some people because I feel like you and I are not that we necessarily disagree, but I feel like we are we kind of have slightly differing opinions. Like yeah. when a when a an artist you know when a when an indie artist goes mainstream, I think. It isn't always like this, but I think it can be a great thing, like in The Dark Knight. It can also be a bad thing, like in Ocean's 12, you know, (laughs) Um, where it's the idea that it's like, okay, all right, this person needs to... Like, the idea of there being a fourth-born film and that Paul Greengrass is interested and Matt Damon is interested, I'm like, you don't want to kill this. Yeah. And, like, one or two more of these, there's going to be... It's it's not going to be as good. Yeah, and what's going to happen if the next uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie sucks? Well, it's, then, and it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. And with with my with my worldview and my opinions on this particular to- particular topic, I'm terrified that it's going to happen. I know, and it and it like I feel like he is a strong enough filmmaker. Like you know, he made the Prestige, which there's some plot issues, but it's still yeah. really strong, and and it still is just as kind of darkly challenging as any of the other films that he's made. Uh-huh. And so I like I think that's what needs to happen is I think he needs to make a Batman film, go in and make something that's similar but it's just what he wants to do. And he comes back and does Batman, you know. Um it I think that could work for him. But uh but you know what? I'm on I'm absolutely with you cuz I liked Spider-Man. I loved Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 3 comes along and you're like, "Oh my gosh. How did this happen, Mr. Raimi?" Yeah. Um and and I think it might, you know, that might be, you know, we were uh, sort of kind of praising studios earlier, and now we'll we'll, we'll get back to uh, back to business. Well, of, I think that- da- of damning them. I think like at this point, if they, you know, if and when they make a third, you know, Christopher Nolan Batman movie, there's going to be the expectations are going to be so high that I think the studio then might start demanding some things and that's when that's when you're going to find some trouble. I, I I think that uh the best thing for franchises to do we've done a franchise episode but mm-hmm. I think take a take a page from from Aliens movies or yeah. from Harry Potter movies yeah. and like switch up the directors every once in a while. Yeah. You know, when someone gets too entrenched and it seems like it seems like two movies is kind of the benchmark here. Yeah. You know, like you can make two good Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Uh and and then the third one didn't. I can't think of another example, but I just know that like, you know, Paul Greengrass has made two Bourne movies. Christopher Nolan yeah. made two Batman movies. <laughs> let's let's move let's move it along here. You know, Chris Columbus made two Harry Potters, and then uh, third one comes along, and it's uh, the best of the bunch with a you know new well, director. My favorite is Order of the Phoenix, but 
Well, I'm just saying, like at the time, it was the yeah, best. A new director comes along and and reinvigorates the, yeah. the franchise. And now you know David Yates is doing the sixth. That's right, uh, Harry Potter movie, and I'm sure it'll be good. I don't want him to do the seventh. Right. I want somebody else to come in. All right. Not Mark Forster. When will people? <laughs> when will people start <laughs> listening to us, David? Exactly. We have so many opinions. Um, Opinions that you can read about, incidentally. Uh, oh, let's get those announcements. Out okay, of the way. so we've got some some basic announcements. One is that uh, uh, David and I uh, uh, a couple weeks ago were on the Paul Goebel show, and it was uh, a good time. It was a lot of fun, and, uh, as it always is. I love being on that show and yeah, listening to it. It's a lot of fun, and so um, so go and listen to it. It's episode I think one fourteen. That's correct. And uh, and it was uh, basically the Halloween episode, so it's you know a little out of date, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, so that's one. Another is that, uh, so with the new website, we've started up a new forum. Um, and this one is much better than the last one. It's much yeah. better. It's much better organized. And, uh, and it's something that we really, uh, want to encourage you to do. Like you, you can start your own topic. You can respond to other people's yeah. topics. Um, I like the idea of, Rather than just the conversation between being, you know, being between me and David and then yeah. us and you guys, I like the idea of, you know, you guys talking to each other. And, yeah, you know, you know, and we get, we get emails sometimes that'll, that will not be, not be a response to anything at all that was on the show, just right. be like someone's has a thought about film. And like those would be work so much better. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to get them, but those would work so much better in a forum right. format. Right. And so, um, so yeah, if you just go to the website and click on forum, there, there are topics there that you can respond to. Um, you can start your own. Um, it's really easy to do. Uh, and so, yeah, we would just, and, and it, you know, if it turns out that, that it's, uh, you know, that's not working out or that people aren't really, utilizing it then we'll probably take it down after a while but i really hope that it doesn't that that doesn't happen i really want to encourage everybody to to take part in it so um so yeah i think that's basically it oh okay so on the website uh probably in the next week there's going to be a new video on there (laughs) that i am in and that i wrote uh i didn't direct it um and it's kind of amusing and so and the guy who directed i told him that i'd put it up on the website for a while uh, to so that he could get some bumps out of it, and I am involved. Wow. So wow, way to sell it. Hey, are you, I, trying, are you trying to like draw up some sympathy for this thing? Maybe people will watch it if they <laughs> exactly lower the expectations, <laughs> and then when it exceeds them, now we're on. Now we're talking. No, I just I, I because it's something that I did that 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 you weren't a part of. Like it's something that I'll put on the website, but like I don't want to play it up too much because it's you know it did not it, it is not okay. bax sanctioned well i so. made i made a fan music video for the new rihanna song okay that i'm gonna put up there i throw it on up there everybody <laughs> go on over to the battleship pretension video section and then uh you know and then head on over to the forum and complain about it um but anyway so uh and of course any uh any comments yeah just because we're plugging the forum by all means anything that you want to email to us battleship pretension at hotmail.com and uh, don't forget to click on donate on the right. uh, on the battleshipretention.com right. homepage. We're still accepting donations. All right, so I'm standing up now, which means that means show is over. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we'll get you all next time. All right, bye. Bye.